Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed in the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Sheila. Hi, my name is Sheila. I'm a compulsive eater. Very, very grateful to be here. Um, Yeah, this is great. I haven't been to this meeting in a while, and it's really nice to see. I love how this meeting room is always so full, such great recovery, and um, happy birthday, Kim. Happy, happy birthday, and many more. And I, too, was a slipper, and I'll get to that. I'll talk about that a little bit. But I want to welcome the people who are new. Um, I was trying to keep track of names. I'm always trying to practice my memory, and I think, oh, I'll get this, I'll get this. And there were so many new people and people who are returning, and um, welcome to everybody. Um, Really, really glad you're here, and you are safe in Overeaters Anonymous. I guess that's the the one thing I I would want you to know, because that was just really, really important for me to know. You are safe, and the reality is... um, the war is over, right? And uh, you lost. And, <laughs> and that might be the best news you get today. I know it was really good news for me to kind of get it. And um, but again, you are you are safe and loved in Overeaters Anonymous, and we'd we'd love to have you. And there are all kinds of meetings in Los Angeles, and. Uh, so you're, you're in a great place. And especially welcome to people who are coming back. And I know somebody also celebrated 90 days. So congratulations there. I thought that was so great. She said she wasn't sure she wanted to come to the meeting because she was feeling so great. I remember hearing somebody say once, right? Like when you, when you don't want to go to a meeting walk, when you really... Okay, I've screwed it up. Anyway, like when you don't want to go, that's when you run. When you want to go, you walk. When you don't want to go, you, you run. I know. See, isn't that terrible when you screw up a joke like that? Right, John? It just, it's all about timing, right? But um, anyway, I loved it. I loved that she said she didn't really want to come and, and came. And I'm glad you celebrated with us with your 90 days. And, um, and But especially want to really welcome the people who are coming back. It takes a lot of courage to stay in Overeaters Anonymous. And um, it takes a lot of courage to come here, but it takes a lot to stay, especially if you are somebody like me who just, I just wasn't ready to feel the feelings. That's all it was behind the food. I just wasn't ready to feel the feelings. It's not a moral issue to be in the food. It's not a moral issue to be a size 18. It's not a moral issue to not be done, to not be ready to put down the sugar. It's not. It's not a moral issue. I didn't know that. I thought it was because I wasn't quite clear about step one. It took me a long time to get clear about step one and powerlessness. So I kept thinking somehow I could control this and I wasn't doing it right in the dozen years that I was struggling in Overeaters Anonymous. And it was very difficult to be in Overeaters Anonymous when you feel for whatever reason you have not been invited to the party or you haven't kind of gotten what people around you are getting. Um, it is very, very difficult. And I know I was a slipper for a dozen years. So I've been in OA for 30 years, and I only have 18 years of abstinence. My top weight's 200 pounds. I weigh about 135. I've maintained that body weight for about the last 15, 16 years. And if being 
overweight had been my biggest problem, I would be in such great shape, right? It would be terrific. If fried chicken and bonbons had been my problem, I would be, it would be golden. It wasn't. The transformation that happened to my body is the least interesting transformation that's happened to me here, period. It's always been a heart issue. It's always been a heart issue, right? And I always used to say that I don't love easily and I don't forgive easily. Those are the issues I had when I came in with and they're the same things I wrestle with now to a much lesser extent. But then I was thinking, maybe I don't kind of want to validate that and kind of keep banging that drum, but I had a really hard morning with my husband, and I got to tell you, I do not love easily and I do not forgive easily, as evidenced by my Saturday morning today. So, you know, I don't know, maybe just kind of stand in it and claim it. But I really struggle with it, and it's not for any other reason but that I lose sight really quickly with my heart. I do. I lose sight really quickly of what my core values are. And I get reminded when I'm in a meeting. I get reminded when I'm doing my reading and writing that my sponsor wants me to be doing on a daily basis. I'm not always doing it. I get reminded when I'm on an outreach call, right? I get, I get brought home here. But when I'm in my world, in life, I can lose sight of what's going on with my heart very, very quickly. And then I'm in trouble, right? And all of a sudden, you've done me wrong, and you need to change so I can be okay. And the irony behind that is I've totally given away my power. If you need to be different so I can be okay, if my husband needs to put a napkin in his lap for me to be okay, <laughs> that's I've given away all my power, and it's really kind of, stupid and even if even if I game play and think well I'll sneak a napkin in his lap right it still that still doesn't it doesn't we haven't solved the greater problem the greater problem is I've lost sight of this right I've lost sight of how much I love my husband I've forgotten about what the little things are and how they really don't matter I I I just gotten so far behind and then all of a sudden even if I'm not going to do something goofy with food I, I'm out I'm out I'm out of my head right? and I had a problem with sugar from when I was very young and I was molested and I started stealing candy bars in this grocery store and I did it in because I didn't want to kind of endure what this, this grocer who owned this store was putting me through. And, and this happened on multiple occasions. And I just, I thought, I can remember the day, I thought, well, I'm just going to start stealing these things. I'm just going to start stealing them. So stealing was a big part of my story in Overeaters Anonymous. Um, as I looked back, right, I mean, in my life, and as I got clear and started working the steps in Overeaters Anonymous, I got clear about how much stealing I had done, and 90% of the things I stole over time were food um, items. And because I experienced what I experienced, and that wasn't the only time, five years later, there was a, another person in my life, another man, family friend, um, these men were cousins, you know, bravo for life's little ironies, but... Um, so I was also primed for shame, 
right? Which again, that figures in when I look at my history as somebody who was a chronic slipper, right? I was already primed for shame based on what I'd experienced in my home. I didn't grow up in an alcoholic home. My grandfathers, though, both maternal and paternal, were alcoholic, and alcoholism travels south quickly. So, and I, I definitely felt the effects in my family. So, it, with everything, by the time I got here, I'd started in Al Anon a year, then got clean and sober, and three months later, I turned to a woman next to me and I said, Hey, do you think somebody can have a problem with sugar like you have a problem with alcohol? She said, Absolutely, go to Overeaters Anonymous. So, I went to my first meeting. And had I taken the direction I got in my first meeting in Overeaters Anonymous, my my journey here would have been much different because the wonderful direction I got from this beautiful woman, this is in Lansing, Michigan, and keeping in mind, again, I've been in Al-Anon a year, I've been clean and sober for three months, so I kind of knew how this worked. I knew what we've got in the 12-step program. I didn't know how it worked in OA. I knew you didn't drink in AA, so I showed up at this first OA meeting because I figure, I guess in OA you don't eat, I guess. So I showed up at this 11 a.m. meeting, not having eaten. The meeting's over at 12, 12.30. My blood sugar is tanking. I'm hungry. I'm 200 pounds. I'm pissed off. And I have no idea what this abstinence nonsense is. And there's about five people in the meeting. And I remember there's the, the woman who was the secretary of the meeting. She was this beautiful African-American woman who had just completed a doctorate in accounting, which I found so impressive because I was in the seventh year of my four-year undergraduate degree. So I just thought she was amazing. I mean, I was, I was on board. Whatever she had to offer, I wanted it. And I asked what abstinence was. And she said, well, do you have a problem food? And I said, I do. Sugar is most definitely a problem for me. And she said, do you think you would be able to not eat sugar today and just have three meals? Hmm. I don't know. Now, here's the thing. I can't remember if the conversation went beyond that. But even if it didn't, because I don't want to be a victim, and again, given what I've experienced, I'm set up to be a victim because I was victimized in childhood, right? And I don't want to run that race because it's a losing race. If I claim victim status, the world will give me plenty of opportunities to be a victim, right? It did rain on my outdoor wedding day, my outdoor wedding and outdoor reception day, I might add. So I... I am primed for victim status. I don't want anything to do with it. So even if that woman didn't say anything else, the responsibility would have been mine because I already knew how this worked. I had, I had 15 months of 12-step experience. I knew what you did here. I knew you got a sponsor, and I knew you did what was asked of you, right? I knew that. I mean, that's the one benefit of having grown up in a alcoholic home. I have a real healthy respect for authority figures. I don't argue with sponsors or cops. So I knew, I knew what it was that I needed to do. And I honestly can't remember if she said anything about it. But it doesn't even matter because the responsibility was mine. However, right, it is really important that we would not send a newcomer out the door because maybe not every newcomer had the experience I did. And we wouldn't want to ever send a newcomer out the door and say, like, oh, you got a problem with sugar? Can you not eat sugar today and three meals today? Good luck with that. See you next week, right? But it, it doesn't matter what she did. I know that I didn't ask her to sponsor me, and I know that I never saw this woman again, ever, ever, ever. But I know within a couple of weeks I had a sponsor, in a way, and what became really clear is that I just wasn't ready 
I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to feel the feelings. I wasn't. And I got a wonderful sponsor, and the direction that I'd gotten from her was just start working the steps. And again, because I'm not here to debate with, I wasn't here to debate with her, bless you, and I'm not here to debate with anybody here, right? All I know is I don't argue with sponsors, and it's not because I need anybody to be mean to me or a mother figure or a drill sergeant type. I mean, if being mean was going to solve my problem, my dad would have solved my weight problem in childhood because my dad had three overweight daughters, and he didn't like it, and he was very vocal about it publicly all the time. And um, because I was the youngest and my older sisters would kind of fight back, I, I was an easy target. And, again, he w- there was a lot of shaming. And, again, so it was all just stacking up. Shame was a huge, huge part of my story. Because, again, he'd be saying things in front of people about the fact that I was overweight and also really bringing home to me that I wasn't, I wasn't a, his beautiful little princess because I was overweight. I mean, it was, it was hurtful, right? It was very, very painful. But I got a sponsor, and I just started doing what she said, and she said, work the steps, okay? So, again, I wasn't absent. It became real clear. I wasn't ready to put down the sugar, and she said, just keep going, okay? So now I'm two years in, because I came in here, I was 24 years old. So now I'm 26 years old, and something has happened because I now weigh 180 pounds. And the only reason I'm telling you the numbers is because it gives you some idea of what my willingness was to feel the feelings, right? So something has shifted. Because in two years' time of being in the rooms, these rooms and others, and working the steps, and I, this all happened in Michigan, so we were largely influenced by the 12-step program, Bob Smith from Ohio, and their theory was you just keep cycling through the steps over and over again. So I'd already done a couple of four steps at this point, and now I'm down 20 pounds, and I'm at a family event. And I walk by my dad, and somewhere I have a picture of me. I can see what I'm wearing. And my dad said, um, and again, there's 10, 11 people around me, said, well, I see that you've, You've lost a little bit of weight, but you've got a lot more to go, so don't let up. And I turned around and I said, no more. That's it. It's over. You do not talk to me about my weight anymore. It's over. And everybody kind of turned and went, oh, wow. You know, nobody talked to my dad like that before. And I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. I was just really just trying to meet fire with fire, really. Glorious fire with glorious fire. I wasn't, again, wasn't trying to be disrespectful. But it was never okay for my dad to be talking to me about my weight. That was inappropriate way back when that started. That was never okay. And I just clarified to him, it stops now. And nobody could tell me, despite the fact I wasn't abstinent, I was still in the sugar, still obviously doing quantity eating if I'm 26 years old and weigh 180 pounds. Nobody could tell me, though, that that wasn't recovery. That's why I don't argue and debate about this. It's above my pay grade. It, it really is. I, I really, I, I, I don't know what the larger conversation is. I, I do, here's what I love about Overeaters Anonymous. We all have our esh, right? That's all I got here is my esh. All I got is my experience, strength, and hope. That's all I've got for anybody. But I do have my esh. And my experience, strength, and hope told me that following the sponsor direction, and even though I wasn't done with the food, and all that meant is I wasn't ready to feel the feelings probably behind the molestation. 
and other things. There was a lot of bad stuff that went on in my home. That was just a big ticket item. But I just wasn't ready to feel the feelings. And I'm not going to say to somebody, because I've heard things that would curl your hair in terms of fist steps. Probably many of us have, right? But I've heard things that blew my mind. And I'm not going to say to somebody who's got God knows what they're dealing with. I'm not going to say, mm-mm. You don't get to participate until you're ready to feel the feelings. Come on, fuck up. I'm not going to do that. Again, above my pay grade, I'm not a healthcare professional. But all I know is working those steps, despite the fact I wasn't ready yet, something shifted because I got to stand up to the bully. And that was a big, big moment for me. It was actually a big moment for my dad. He told me later what a big moment it was for him. He wasn't clear about what he'd done and how hurtful it had been. So not only had the direction I'd gotten, the love that I'd gotten from you, the clarity that I get from you that we're all working the steps, but we're having wildly different experiences here. We're having different relationships with our sponsors. We talk to them different amounts of time, right? But it's all holy work. But just following that direction... You had an effect on my father, who never even, never had a clue about what it is we do here. And my dad was really kind of developed, grew into anorexia. I mean, he died, he was, he had horrendous weight, weight loss. But um, I just, I was so grateful that I just was willing to do that. So that worked well. So I got clarity that something was working wonderfully there and so I just kept going and then there's not time um, for the story but I just kept I kept doing what was asked of me and then I went and I had a major health diagnosis and my doctor at UCLA one of the world's foremost researchers in this um, autoimmune disease I'd gotten diagnosed with said well I don't know anything about um, eating nutrition and stuff. He said, most doctors don't. He said, but I need you to go to an RD because I have a feeling that would, that, would, that would have an effect on this. So he sent me to an RD. So I went and I heard what she had to say, right? Keeping in mind that it's not like I can walk out of a registered dietitian's office and, ah, I've had a healing, right? It doesn't go that way. It doesn't. Man, that hurt. It doesn't, it doesn't go that way. I am not empowered to get a food plan from a registered dietitian and walk out and do what she wants me to do. Here's the thing. We have a lot of diabetes in my family. My brother had gotten diabetes at 15 and died 21 years later, and it was not a pretty death. It was a horrible, horrible death. And my mother got the less serious diabetes, wink, wink, at 66 and died two years later. Died the same horrendous death, just quicker. And those aren't the only diabetics in my family. My sister had a 10-year-old daughter who was diagnosed with diabetes, and when she went to the hospital, her blood sugar was in over 600. They told her the only reason she wasn't dead is because she was 10 years old. So that sister, the mother of that kid, so we have all this diabetes in our family. Her kids had diabetes for six, seven years. She goes to the doctor, and she all of a sudden the doctor marks her for prediabetes. Says, uh-oh, you know, you're marked for prediabetes. And she panicked. She said, what do I do? What do I do? She was, my sister weighed about 160 pounds. And he said, well, and again, this is just what he said. He said, um, stop eating anything white, no sugar, no flour, no, ri- no white rice. He said, just stop that and see, come back and see me in three months. So my sister comes back in three months, and she's 30 pounds down. 
and the the diabetes marker is gone. And he said, wow, that's amazing. What did you do? She said, well, I stopped eating the white things like you told me not to do. He said, I tell everybody that. Nobody ever does that. And she, she did, right? Because fear worked for her. I don't, I don't think fear works for I know it doesn't work for me. I know you can't... I don't think you could scare a compulsive overeater. I know you can't scare an alcoholic. But I know, I know you couldn't scare me. I had plenty of experiences where men and women in white coats said things to me. Don't do this and this and this. And I'd walk out and do twice as much. So you couldn't scare me. But it worked for my sister. And it has continued to work. That's great. But if you subscribe to what we subscribe to here, and you kind of think, well, maybe I belong here, I kind of dig what you do, you're probably going to find that you're going to need to work the steps. I know that that's, that's how it worked for me. I wish I could do. And I'll go home and I sometimes, and I'll look at my sister and I think, how is it that she could, you know, she could? And I don't know what it is. Is it here? Is it here? I know it's not here. I thought it was here, but it's not. It's, it's somewhere, but something, there's some switch that gets flipped when I work the steps. And I am so grateful that I just wanted to do what was asked of me. And the cool thing is, is through this process, right, because the great thing is, is I got directed to keep working the steps. I got directed pretty early on to make sure that I was making outreach calls to make sure that I was actually working those tools. I kind of thought it was just a reading we do at the beginning, you know, like, oh, isn't that interesting? Yet another reading to pretend I'm listening to and really be <laughs> balancing my checkbook. But I just, I never put two and two together that I'm supposed to be working the tools on a daily basis. And then I have this wonderful sponsor who really brought home this idea that I need to be making outreach calls. Why? Not so that I have another task, it's not that. And that same sponsor who said, let's do three to five meetings a week. At different points, she's saying three to five. And she's saying, and if you're going to be at three to five meetings, you might as well have three to five commitments. You know, again, I, because I'm not going to argue, but that didn't make any sense to me, but it made sense to her. So I just kept following this direction. And she brought home, again, it wasn't an attempt to try and give me lots of stuff to do or to kind of... Uh, shame me or get me so task busy that I don't have time to think about food. Trust me, I've always got time to think about food. But it was, she brought home that it's really about building a community so that I don't have to be alone anymore. You know, that first word of the first step, right? Most important, the we. That, that means a lot to me. And I got to tell you, it is still the hardest one for me. I still struggle with, with intimacy. Physical, spiritual, emotional, sexual. I still struggle with intimacy because I, quite frankly, have not quite fallen in love with me as much as I would like. It is still easier for me today to love you than it is for me to love me. Which, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't bode well for any of us. Even you, who's getting love more. Right. It, does, it just doesn't it doesn't play well. But um, I just know it, it's where I'm at right now. The good news is, is I know it today. I mean, the, the worst is when that that stuff was what was driving me and I just wasn't clear what was going on. But I'm real clear now and had some really powerful 
experiences come up behind um, fourth steps, right? And since, like I said, right, came in, we've got the love and forgiveness thing, right, that was the issue, thing I still wrestle with, because until I really kind of get that down, service, service will be a natural outgrowth once I get that down. And once I started in that first year working the steps and going through the process, everything started opening up. I mean, somewhere I fell in love with me to be able to say that to my dad. So this wonderful process over and over again really healed me. And again, I had that real damage with what I'd experienced, the sexual trauma. And so let's just call him Tom, right? So doing a big book inventory, right, the three columns, page 65 and then page 67, that's where the fourth column is. So I resent Tom, molested me, affects me in all these areas, check, 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 right? And the thing that I love about a big book inventory is it takes the story out of it. I've done other longer inventories, and I've done prose inventories, filled notebooks. I, I'm a writer. I know, you know. I had a sponsor once say, I can't listen to anymore, in the middle of a fifth step. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that was a good thing, personally. But, and she was a psychologist. But, um, but anyway, so, you know, I mean, I've done those kind of four steps. But the, the value of the big book inventory four steps is it takes the story out of it. And here's what I can tell you as a writer. There's only three reasons that you ever want to tell a story, right? One, I want to entertain. Two, I want to give you a catharsis. That's what Aristotle told us 2,800 years ago. I want to create a catharsis experience for you. So... That's another reason to have a story. But the third reason, and this is particularly relevant to us in 12-step programs, I want you on my team. I want you on my team. Because if you're on my team, we're mad at Tom. We are so mad at Tom, right? But the problem is, if I've got you on my team and we're mad at Tom, I'm a victim again. Because Tom did this to me. I'm disempowered. I have no power. So I want to keep the story out of it. So I resent Tom, molested me when I was a kid on numerous occasions, affected me in all these areas, check, 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 and then the fourth column. And where am I resentful? I mean, where am I selfish, dishonest, and fearful, right? Um, And and it references self-seeking, but that always seems so close to selfish. I just always tell people, find out where you are selfish, dishonest, and fearful. So if I've been molested, if you've been molested, it's easy to figure out where somebody would be fearful. Check. Got that. Where am I dishonest? Well, since resentment is just a $2 word for I don't forgive you, thing that, right? That's all a resentment is. So I already know I don't forgive Tom because he's on my resentment list. So I want to be forgiven in the world. I've hurt, thank you. I've hurt people. I've done damage. I want to be forgiven. So if I want to be forgiven, I have to extend forgiveness, I think. That seems pretty obvious to me, and yet I've had people who've really kind of struggled with that one. But um, So it's easy for me to get the dishonest. And then the selfish part, I'll just close with this, is um, my sponsor at the time, when I was first reading this fifth step, this first time when I put this down, because this was the big ticket item, right? If I was going to get this one, Locked and loaded and checked away, everything else was going to be golden. It was going to be easy. It was going to be cake, right? But I needed to get this one. 
And she said, you know that I know that it was, I'm really sorry this happened to you. This shouldn't have happened to you. And I knew that. I, could, I, I knew that she loved me. I could feel her compassion. I could feel that. And I said, yes, I do. And she said, now, do you know that there are tragedies happening all over the world right now? All kinds of tragic things are happening to people. Do you know that? And I did. And she said, is it possible if you are staying so conscious about this having happened to you, that that's selfish because you're not the only one who hurts? And I could hear that. I could hear that when she said that. And she also said, is it are you expressing all that God would have you express in the world? Or are you spending more time than maybe you like kind of thinking about this, about how much it hurts? Despite the fact it shouldn't have happened, and I'm sorry it happened to you, but is it, is it taking up more of your life? And I got it that it was. And so I could understand then where it was selfish. So see, I'm just kind of getting clear in that that first situation that because it it something did shift for me right away and kind of the, the the ice around my heart everything started cracking open just you know just literally breaking open because all of a sudden Tom wasn't running the show anymore in my life and I got a hint of the freedom that forgiveness could offer me. So, and that was just on that first, first, fourth, and fifth step experience, right? So, I'm just so grateful for, for everything. And we've got a little bit of time here, so I'll just open it up if anybody wants to throw anything out. But um, I just want you to know you have given me a life, and your lives have affected not only my life, but the lives of people in my family. And, um, and I am so grateful to you for transforming my family. And don't go anywhere because my family needs more of it. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, so that's what I've got for now. direction is, you know, if they're not abstinent, they haven't done step three, and they go back and keep working steps one through three until they get abstinent, because if they're in God's will, they would be abstinent. And then, I don't know, just kind of like how you see that with having moved forward in the steps not abstinent, um, because it's something that I struggle with, because I've heard both of the, like, you're not in step three if you're not abstinent, and also, I wouldn't have gotten abstinent if I didn't move past Sure. Could you please repeat the question? Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thanks. So she asked about, um, you know, this whole quandary of sponsoring somebody who's not abstinent, and what, what do you do? Do you just send somebody back to steps one, two, and three, and is somebody not working step three if they're not abstinent? And, and I hear you. And, and again, thank God the pre there's no pressure, right, that there isn't one right way to do this. So I know that my... My sense is always whatever your sponsor says is right, right? So you get to follow your sponsor's direction. I can just tell you for me, based on the way I talked to my husband this morning for about mm, 90 seconds, one would never know that I had taken a step three this morning. <laughs> so I think there's a fluidity to step three, right, in terms of what that really means to surrender my will and my life to God, right? If my will is what I want and my life is what I've got, anytime I'm pissed off or feel like I haven't gotten mine, I'm not in step three, right? So that's one thing I would say about that in terms of step three. The other thing is, again, I've just heard too many horrible stories about things that people experience, and I'm not going to be the one to say to somebody, you need to be ready to feel the feelings behind that and just pull it together. So that's the other thing. And then the, the last thing is what I always tell people that I sponsor is you have to give me something. you got to give me something. you either got to give me abstinence and the work, or you've got to give me the work. You know, what it says on page 96 in Working With Others, it says... Um, we find, I'm paraphrasing, it says, we find it a waste of time to try and help a man who cannot or will not work with you. It doesn't say we find it a waste of time to try and help a man who cannot or will not get sober. It says who will not work with you. So if somebody is willing to do the work, and I'm going to give somebody a lot of things to do, because I work with chronic slippers exclusively. So I... Everybody will be better served if my chronic slipping sponsees are busy. So I'm going to give them lots of things to do because we're going to figure this out really quickly whether or not they're done. We're going to start on a Monday and I'll know by Friday. We're both going to know by Friday whether they're done. Simply by whether or not they're stepping out and doing the work. So for me, it's enough for somebody to be doing the work. Now, if they call me two or three days in a row and they haven't done the reading and writing, because I'm going to give them reading and writing stuff to do on a daily basis. We work out of the big book. So if they haven't done that, then I'm, I, and I never say I'm firing people because that's inflammatory language and hurts people, but I say, you know what? This probably isn't the sponsorship relationship for you. Not everybody's going to ask you to do all the things that I'm asking you to do on a daily basis. Right? If you're drowning, a blue boat, a purple boat, a green boat, a red boat, a pink boat can save your life. But you're in my boat. You got in a red boat. Presumably you got in the red boat because you want what I have. And if you've decided you don't want what I have, that's okay. You don't need to jump back in the water. Don't feel bad if you don't want what I have on my bad days. I don't want what I have. So no problem there, right? But let's get you in another boat, you know? So I give people lots of things to do because you've got to give me something, either abstinence and the work or the work. But if you just give me abstinence, if you're eating right, but you're not doing the work, that's also not a fit. Because if you subscribe to what we subscribe to here, if you're not doing the work, you're not going to be eating that way for long anyway.
So I, 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 I want people to have the real transformation, right? I can't, I don't want to hit the microphone. But the transformation here, the only one that matters. It's the only one that matters. I'm glad that I'm not a size 18 anymore. But so what? I mean, once you show up at the 30-year reunion and great, now I'm a size 6, that's fun for about 19 seconds. And then it's like, forget it. The real fun was sitting at the 30-year reunion with the guys who said really hurtful, mean stuff to me in high school and shamed me and sitting down with them. And, and, and now they're chubby, and I knew they were going to be because I saw them on Facebook. But now <laughs> I got to show up. And I got to be loving and ask to see pictures of their beautiful wives and their beautiful children. And really be loving and really mean it. It wasn't like, you know, talk to the hand or it wasn't any of this like, oh, I'm doing you a favor. It wasn't any of that. It was, I have been transformed. I don't know what was going on for you when you were in pain doing your painful stuff, but I'm in no position to judge because I've done painful stuff. Like, that's the transformation that happened on a fourth and a fifth step. That's how this got turned around. And then I solved, I got a shot at solving my real problem. And in case I think that I've gotten it, I haven't gotten it. Not even close. I'm getting it, but I haven't gotten it. And I know because I listened to me talking to my husband this morning the way that I did. So it's all a process, right? It's all okay and I'm just going to keep doing what is being asked of me, and um, and you know, open you know, open mind, open heart, right? I'm I'm willing for something to shift. John Kay and I kind of see this, you know, John and I are buddies, and we'll get together about every six months, and you know, he tries to talk me into his way of thinking, and I try to talk him into my right way of thinking. Thank you very much. At any rate, very very glad to be here. Thank you, thank you.